verse 39. Now, you know, God has, he has funny ways of letting us know what he wants us to say. As a minister, God has, this lesson is one of them. You know, I said, God, you know, what, what, what would you have for me to say tonight? You know, I don't, I want you to know, I don't get up here and just pull a rabbit out of the hat. Me and Jesus have had a talk, and I'm going to be comfortable that I've heard from the Lord. Amen. And so I, I said, Lord, what, what would you have for me to say? And, and, and he put this, this phrase. Let me ask everybody here. How many knows what W-O-N-T means? Not won't, want. W-O-N-T, it's right out of the Bible. Not the apostrophe, W-O apostrophe, N apostrophe T. Not that word, the W-O-N-T. Do you know what it means? <clears throat> Y'all are all wrong. But that's what the Lord dropped in my mind as he was wont. That's all I got. That's how carnal I am. I had to dig out the rest. But, you know, if I was like Brother Preston here, you know, he God would have gave me, you know, probably two-thirds of the message right there on the spot. He's, he's that good. No, I'm picking at him tonight. I love Brother Preston. But um, this is all the Lord gave me. So go with me to Luke twenty-two thirty-nine, and we'll begin. And he came out and went, and as he was wont, as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray ye, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if it be willing, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony. Everybody say in agony. Notice the wording here, because we're going to get into it in just a moment. And being in an agony. He didn't say being in agony. It says being in an agony, a specific agony. And being in an agony... He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he, was, when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And for the second time, he said it again. He said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. 
And I want you to hold that that scripture because we're going to be teaching from it. But I'm also going to speak out of Isaiah 66. Verse 7, Isaiah here under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost says a very curious thing. All of you mothers will find verse 7 a very curious, very curious verse. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. And tonight, I... I, with the help of the Lord, what the Lord has given me, I, I want to teach on this subject, the prayer of agony. The prayer of agony. You may be seated. Now, Isaiah here said, very curious words. He said things that would defy nature. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. And then he echoed exactly what we would think. Who's heard of such a thing? Not going to happen. That's not the way nature intended it to be. But yet, when as soon as Zion travailed, as soon as Zion began to feel the pain of childbirth, she brought forth her children. Not until then, but when she travailed. Read to you of the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. This came on the heels of the Last Supper, whereas that Judas went and took care of his dirty deeds. And the Bible says at verse 39 that he came out and he went. As he was wont. Now I know you're just dying for me to tell you what that means. As he was wont. It means as was customary for that person. Jesus apparently always went to the Mount of Olives to do his praying. This was something 
customary. Something that was expected. And so, when he goes to the Mount of Olives, the disciples followed him. They followed him, but not really. They may have followed his direction as to where that he was walking, but there was things that they did not follow, Brother Charles. And it's evident in this passage of Scripture. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, he says this twice, pray that you enter not into temptation. Now the words are slightly changed in verse 46, but the, the effect is the same. He's warning them that they need to pray because temptation is coming. It came with a warning. Temptation is coming. Strong's defines the word temptation in the original as the experience of evil, adversity. He's telling the disciples you need to pray lest you experience evil. Lest you have adversity that you should not have to deal with. In verse 41, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. Give me Matthew 6, 6. True prayer calls for solitude. Even though he had all these men with him. About how far could you throw something? Whose wallet is that there on the top? Your wallet. Come on, won't you stand right here with that wallet. And as long as there's nothing sharp object in that thing, heave it as far down this middle aisle as you can. About the back vestibule doors. The disciples, they're up here. And Jesus, for solitude's sake, went about a stone's throw away. Is there any money in this thing, Brother Parker? There is? I'll pick it up then. Well, no money, I'd make you come get it. <laughs> I can take out there what I need, right? <laughs> and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. How many feet is it you reckon from that corner to that vestibule door? So we'll say between 30 and 40 feet, depending on how far the stone's cast is. It's about how far Jesus went away from them. Just enough for them to hear him, but to not distinguish what he was praying. Give me Matthew 6 and 6. But thou, 
when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. True prayer calls for solitude. Let that sink in a minute. If you're going to pray an effective prayer, you've got to get alone with the Lord. Say, so when I pray with my family, there's nothing wrong with praying with your family. I'm not knocking that. There's a time for that. But when you get done praying with your family, excuse yourself, and you go find some alone time. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost about right now. Solitude. Even though Jesus had, well, at this point it was 11 men. With him 24-7. He took the time. Said, y'all, now I'll just, I'll say it in Texan language, y'all gonna understand. Y'all wait here. You do know that Paul was southern because he said above all, through all, and in you all. That's, that's guaranteed he was southern. Y'all wait right here. And I'm going over yonder. Am I saying it right? I'm trying to speak that Texan lingo. I'm going to go down here and I'll be back in a little bit. But you need to pray lest you enter into temptation. Lest you experience evil. Unless you will, ex you will experience adversity that you do not need to experience. Now, there are times that the devil's going to attack you no matter what you do or where you go or no matter how good you are. But there are other times we put ourselves in the way of temptation. How can I do that, Brother Motes? Someone was talking about the sin of omission and commission this past weekend. What's the difference? The sin of commission is the things that I do that are wrong. Lie. Cheat, all that kind of stuff. But the sin of omission is the things that I should have done, but I chose not to do. And I'm going to show you before this lesson is over how that the, the end result of the disciples not praying, how it affected them. They should have prayed. Did didn't pray. We'll get into that in just a minute. But he said you need to pray lest you experience evil. There are times that because you do not pray, you deal with the devil more than you should have to. See, so he goes about a stone's throw away. And he begins to pray. In verse 42, he shows how human he is. 
Yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. He was feeling the pressure of the hour. He knew that there were things that had to come to pass to fulfill prophecy that involved a great deal of pain on his part. And he said a prayer that is very, very telling. Father, verse 42, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless. Oh, I could preach about nevertheless. Nevertheless. Not my will, but thine be done. You see, his will had to submit. The flesh had to submit to the spirit. And when his flesh submitted to the spirit, supernatural things began to occur. You say, I want the power of God in my life. Where's your submission? I'm not necessarily talking about to have been to the pastor. You ought to already be doing that. But that's not what I'm referring to here. I'm talking about submitting to the perfect divine will of God. Things that your flesh says, no, I don't want to do that. Things that you would rather just kind of candy coat over and, and do your own thing and not worry about that and still come to church on Sunday and Wednesday and, and shout and rejoice and get your blessing and go right on. Lord, if you're willing, let this cup, what cup? The cup of judgment, the cup of prophecy. Let it pass from me. Let it, let it go somewhere else. Nevertheless, that's where the submission kicked in in that nevertheless. Nevertheless, doesn't matter what I think. Nevertheless, doesn't matter what the disciples think. They still think that it's going to be some kind of earthly kingdom and they're going to get to rule on each side of me. They have those thoughts right up till after the resurrection. These guys, you, I'll tell you what, you know, you'd begin to think twice about having these kind of guys following you around, thinking those things after three and a half years of power, wonders, and miracles, they're still thinking there's going to be some kind of earthly kingdom going on here. They never seen the spiritual side of it. Nevertheless, I submit. Not my will, but thine be done. And when he submitted, the supernatural immediately occurred. Some of y'all must not be feeling what I'm feeling. You want something supernatural in your life? If you're tired of the mundane 
and then just going from day to day and wondering what life's all about. If that, you know, if that's getting on your nerves, then you're a prime candidate. Then what you need to do is to learn how to get what the mind of God is and say, God, I submit unto that. It's not necessarily what I would rather do, but it's what I must do. I, nevertheless, I've got to do it, Lord. I've counted the cost and I, I've made up my mind. I'm going to do it. I'm going all the way. I don't know what it's going to cost me, but it doesn't matter what it costs. Nevertheless, I will submit that you can get the glory and the power of Christ may rest upon me. Who's following me on this thing? Next verse there, Sister Carriana. Look what happened. Oh, my God. It sent cold chills down my spine when I read it like that. When he submitted <laughs> to the will of God, the angels of the Lord came to give him strength for what was before him. Up until that time, he struggled with his flesh, but not anymore after that, because now there was something supernatural that occurred in his world right there. Even in the flesh, his flesh was strengthened by the angel of the Lord for the days that were coming just around the corner. Even while the angels are strengthening him, there's Judas, there's Judas Iscariot over there taking his, his blood money and he's on his way down right now toward Gethsemane, making his way even as the angel is strengthening him. Well, I thought when I got angelic visitation that it was gravy trained to glory, that, that I was going to do wonders and thunders and eat rotten cucumbers. That I was, I was finally had arrived and I had made it because I had an angelic visitation. That was part of that nevertheless. Some things we don't comprehend or grasp, but we know that the will of God must be primary. If God's calling you for more fasting, guess what? You just point at yourself saying, oh, my flesh don't want to do that. If he's calling you for more prayer, I can promise you, you can count to your, you can just point to yourself and my flesh does not want to do that. If he's calling you for more of the word in your spirit, then you just you just go ahead and point your finger at your own self. Say, my flesh does not want to do that. But yet we must say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And when we can submit, there is a power of submission, and that submission brings angelic activity. I'm in the book. It brings angelic activity. 
I have felt the presence of the Lord. I've also felt the presence of an angel before. When the Lord touches you, it's like joy unspeakable, a bubbling on the inside. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. When an angel touches you, you know something holy has touched you, but it's on the outside. Angels don't come to give you scripture and verse and doctrine. That's not their department. But they are ministering spirits. And God uses them more often than you think. Let's just say a prayer right now. Oh, my God. In the name of Jesus. Blessed Lord. Open our understanding, Lord. In the name that's above every name, oh God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, in case you haven't noticed, it's getting close to autumn. Won't be long. The official day will come. Or in a couple weeks, I think. But my dear decorator wife has already got the bug. We've been pulling boxes out. Starting to see pumpkins everywhere. Gold leaves. All kind of cutesy little things. Hello Autumn signs. This afternoon she was doing some of that and I just went into my office and I didn't even shut the door. I sat down in my chair and my computer. I said, God, speak to me. And whoosh, I was speaking in tongues before I ever got the English out. Now, I'm not big on trying to tell what I'm saying. I believe that's a private language between you and God that God chooses. He can use tongues of men or angels. It doesn't matter to him. But I'll be honest with you, it sounded Chinese. Mandarin, I believe, is the word they use, not Chinese. Oh, God. Such power that I felt. Alone with God. Shut in with God. In a secret place. There in the spirit, beholding his face, gaining new power to run in this race. How I long to be shut in with God.
If we can learn how to submit our flesh to the Spirit, angelic activity is coming right on the heels. You want to see phenomenal things, gifts of the Spirit operate. You want to see signs, wonders, and miracles and things occur. It will happen when we submit. Children, we're not submitted to God like we should be. This lesson is not to condemn, but rather to convict. To let us all see how short of the mark we fall when we think we have gotten it together. And verse 44, after the angel appeared. And he went skipping off to the Disciples and boys, I've been touched by an angel. It's time to go lay hands on some foreheads. Pray that's not the way it read. After the angel ministered to his flesh, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Agony is the state of anguish. He was in a specific, certain, unspecified, but distinct, agony and state of anguish and being in a agony he prayed more earnestly folks a lot of times we pray until we feel good We pray until we get the blessing. Nothing wrong with blessings. I'm in that line too. But there's a time for blessings. There's a time for the prayer of agony. You see, this was the turning point. As one author put it, the tipping point of Jesus' ministry. It was coming to full fruition. And he was about to become the lamb slain for your sins and mine. And everything was being laid down, the groundwork was. And it all came through the agony of prayer. Not just any prayer, but a prayer that had been strengthened by angels. And now he began to pray in anguish 
and he prayed more earnestly or more intently. His prayer became more forceful. It became more greater as he prayed in agony and anguish in the garden. He prayed so hard that his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, there's two schools of thought on that. One is, is that the sweat was likened unto sweat of uh, blood pouring from the body and you look in the commentary it's funny commentaries they're just helps they're not the inspired word of God they'll argue with each other on this one but I will say that in my studies I have read of individuals that had this rare thing that came when they were under such duress that it literally pooled over, the blood pooled over into the pores of the skin and then joined with the sweat began to fall to the ground. Brother Moats, exactly what is the prayer of agony? It's the prayer that when you've come to business with Jesus and you're desperate before God lest you die, how many of you have prayed? until your sweat turned to blood. Let's be honest, we've not even come close. In fact, a lot of times we do good to even break out of sweat. Well, it's going over like high-heel tennis shoes. There has to be a desperation in your spirit before you move from the level that you are now at to the glory in which you want to be at. All of my ministry... And I've been preaching for 42 years. I've seen so many. They find a comfort zone. And that's where they stop. And they won't grow any further in God. They found their limit. Hope you're comfortable.
But I'm reaching for somebody that's not content to stop at this glory. I hear a voice. And it's calling my name. And I've got to leave this glory and go to another dimension that I've not walked in before. My flesh don't want to go there because it costs so much more than what I'm used to paying. And if I listen to my flesh, then I'll be like the disciples. The Bible says that they were sleeping for sorrow. They were depressed. Uh, they had the... They had the, the Something that just drove them to the point where all they want to do is sleep. You ever notice somebody gets bad depressed, all they want to do is sleep? They were sleeping for sorrow. I'm not making this up. It's in the scriptures. We'll read it here in a short minute. They were sleeping for sorrow. You know why they were sleeping for sorrow? Because they had not prayed the prayer Jesus prayed. Lord, not my will. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. If they would have prayed that prayer, the same angel that came to the Lord would have been no problem to go 30 or 40 feet over to where the disciples were and minister to them. But no, they were so depressed and they were so self-centered. You know, a depressed person is always thinking of themselves. They're always thinking of their own situation. They don't want to help anybody else. They want all of it coming to them. A depressed person is like that. Oh, that's the way the disciples were. They weren't interested in helping the Lord. They wanted the Lord to help them. They were so down and out. They couldn't even obey God. The Lord said you need to pray lest you enter into temptation. But no, they were too depressed to hear what the Lord was saying. Being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. What happened to the disciples? Well, you know the story. I don't have to tell you. I want you to go to John 20, verse 19, brother, and just hold it there for me. Verse 45, when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them depressed. Sleeping for sorrow, that's depressed. Woe is me. Kingdom ain't turning out nowhere near like I thought it would. Everybody's left us. It's just us disciples now. In fact, we wonder where Judas is. Oh, it's just not looking good. This thing's coming apart. Oh, maybe Jesus can turn the crank over there. He's going to have to because I just ain't got it in me. I'm too depressed. He said unto them, Why are you asleep? Get up and pray, lest you enter 
into an experience of evil. Lest you struggle unnecessarily with adversity. And then comes, right on the heels of this, comes Judas with his kiss. But I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Let's go past all of the gruesome details of what Jesus was praying for and the crucifixion and all of the aftermath. Let's go just a little past it to John chapter 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the what? disciples were assembled. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold, hold, hold that just a second. Now, this is after the resurrection. When the doors were shut and where the disciples was were assembled for fear of the Jews. Let's pause right there. This is what Jesus was trying to get them to pray about. God, why does it take so long for you to do something? And the Lord could very well reply back to you because you're too stubborn and you won't submit and pray lest you enter into evil. They didn't pray after being warned, not once, but twice in the same setting, in the same garden. Evil's coming. Adversity's coming. You want to be insulated from it? You need to pray. Back up and read the start of that verse again. Let's go through it again. Then the same day of evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Or shalom. This is the first peace. Brother Charles, that they had experienced since the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was their own fault. Reckon what opportunities they missed by not obeying God. You see the prayer of agony. The prayer of agony brought on the supernatural intervention. The prayer of agony brought on things that caused the flesh of Jesus to sustain through the horror of the crucifixion. He had to have that. Now, as God, no big deal. But as flesh, he didn't have super divine flesh. It was just the same kind of flesh that, that bleeds when you, when you prick it. Same kind of flesh. 
yet without sin. But yet, the disciples would not pray because they were too depressed. Read verse 20 for me. And when he had said, and when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. His side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. First joy, the first peace, and the first joy that they experienced since the Garden of Gethsemane. Actually, it was before the Garden of Gethsemane because they were already depressed in the garden. I would say that the last peace and joy that they actually had was probably at the Last Supper when they had no clue to what they were really partaking of. Folks, a lot of times we think we've got it all figured out. Now I'm going to throw a curveball for some of you, you Bible scholars and I hope you hang on. Just because you think you've got it all patterned out just how the Lord's going to do according to the word of the Lord doesn't mean he'll do it like that. They had it all figured out how that the Messiah was going to do this and the Messiah was going to do that. And they, they really did have any conception of a dead Messiah. They had never thought of that before. All they thought about was a Messiah sitting down at Jerusalem making the Romans run like a cubby of quail. That's all they could think about and James on one side and John on the other. So before you're too harsh with them, they spent three and a half years 24-7 with the Lord. Heard every word, saw every miracle. And they thought he had him figured out. So just because we think we've got God figured out doesn't mean that you're anywhere close. A lot of times we miss God a million wild miles because we think, well, God, surely you're going to do it this way, so I'm going to pattern my life this direction. And when it doesn't happen, we get like the disciples. We get all depressed and can't even pray. That's one thing that depression can do to you, by the way, is steal you of your prayer. Oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I said it'll steal your prayer. It stole the disciples' prayer, and it actually caused them to disobey the Lord not once but twice in the Garden of Gethsemane. Simply because they were down and depressed and weren't feeling their best. You better watch that thing when it comes upon you and say, oh God, I don't know what's going on. I don't like what's happening, but nevertheless, I want to yield to you, Lord. I submit to you and I'll pray the prayer of agony more earnestly that things will be accomplished that must be done. Oh, God. 
Folks, I'm trying to get it to you. I'm trying. So, well, Brother Moach, you ought not be so hard on me. You should have got the dose I got before I brought it to you. Because God whooped me all over the place with it. Yeah, I was repenting left and right. Oh, God. Oh, God. Forgive me of my stinking flesh. If you are privileged to make it to the other side and you are among the redeemed, I just have to wonder if the Lord might say, let me show you what could have happened if you would have submitted here. Here's what I had in mind for you. If only you would have submitted to me here. If only you would have prayed the prayer of agony when you didn't want to. Do you see these souls over here? You could have won every single one of them. You'd have done this prayer of agony here. We all deal with depression differently and pressure differently. Some of us, when pressure comes, cut a hole and disappear down into it and peek out the hole every once in a while to make sure nobody's going to attack us. Then there's the other type of person. They won't do that. But you know what to do? They'll put it into high gear, everything they've been doing. And they're so busy they can't think. Because they're running from God. Well, I don't want to feel God feel bad when I get around God. Sometimes God presses your spirit and you think that it's God it's, that it's depression when it's actually God pressing you to pray. I'll just be honest with you folks, and I'm trying to close this thing down, but I'm being honest. There have been times of late God's had to press me pretty hard. My old flesh just buck and kick and don't want to do right. I'll find something to do. I'll go do this. I'll find that. I'll go buy this. I'll do this. I'll do something. Anything but pray. But when I get in the presence of Jehovah and I begin to call upon God, then something begins to happen. No, I don't see the end just because the angels of the Lord come and minister and strengthen me. I, I, I don't always have the revelations and all of those things that come with some supernatural activity. But one thing I can guarantee you, I've got enough strength to make it another day. I've got enough strength to move on and to please my God one more day and to do the divine will of God. And if for no other reason, I pray that I will not enter into the activities of evil.
How many devils have you fought unnecessarily? Because you wouldn't pray the prayer of agony. Your flesh says, no, not going to happen. It's what Lincoln had a habit of saying. He'd come around, Nana, not going to happen, Nana. It's not going to happen. One of his favorite sayings. Oh, God, help me, Lord, to get it across. Folks, You don't know any more than I know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's facing you. And I'm not, you know, I don't believe in this fear tactic business. I ain't into all that. But by the same token, you don't know what's coming. And if I read my Bible right, there's some hard things that got to happen before it all completely winds down. And I'm seeing them coming at a fast pace. If you love Texas, that's good. But Texas is going to collapse with the rest of the United States eventually into moral decay. Better not put your faith in Texas. You better put your faith in Almighty God. I heard a minister say one time, I cannot, I'd attribute it to them. I don't take credit, but I can't think of who it was that said it. But it's something the Lord brought to my mind just now. He said, what if that the only reason that you serve God is because of someone that you lean against and depend on greatly. And if they were removed tomorrow, what would your walk with God be then? For those that have a companion in the church, you lean on them. But the bottom line is, that's not where your source of strength comes from. It comes from the Lord, who hath made heaven and earth. Read me one more passage of scripture, brother, and we're going to close. Hebrews 5, 7. This passage of scripture was making reference to the Lord. Who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Now, Jesus offered up prayers 
Well, now, Brother Moach, that's just not the way I pray. It's how you pray to get the Holy Ghost. And I'll tell you something else. There's going to come time you're going to pray like that again to keep it. Because there's going to come a tempter that's going to come along and call your bluff. Now, I'm not saying that every prayer be this way. There's a time to pray with rejoicing. Oh, I like those kind of prayers that you get to dance and get the dancing in your feet. Shout and carry on. Oh, there's great times. But then there's also a time where you come to desperation. You come to desperation. There are three levels of approach to God. Three levels of approach. The first level, it's found in Luke 11, ask. That's the first level. You have not because you have to open your mouth. Well, the Lord knows, no. He may know. Yeah, he knows. But he still wants you to ask. Because you're exercising something called faith. Ask. That's the first level of approach to God. And then the second level of approach to God is it's a little bit more desperate. It's called seeking. Lord, talk to me. Lord says, go to Psalm 101, 102, 103. Read them. He read my mail right down the line. Seeking God. Asking in itself is not enough. You got to get a little more desperate before God. Fasting is another form of seeking God. I thought when I'd fast, man, the heavens would part. A voice would say from the heavens, My son, I saw that you missed those meals. And now I will grant your request forthright. Never happened to me, Brother Charles. Seek and you shall find, but there are times I didn't always find. Did that make God's word in effect? Nope. Go to the next level. So what's that last level? Just pound on the door of heaven. I won't ask Preston to do that knock again. It'd probably tear his knuckles up. Knock. That's a level of desperation that says, I'm just going to keep right on because I've got to have something from God. I've got to have something from God. I've got to have something from God. I know you're not running the aisles tonight, but there is a prayer of agony that the Lord prayed, that there are times of desperation that you have to pray that prayer of agony. It's a prayer of desperation, and you keep on praying, I've got to have something, Lord. I've got to have you to move, Lord. I've got to have you to move, Lord. I don't know what it is, Lord. I don't know what you want. I, I submit to your will, but somehow you've got to move. Be careful about telling what God to do.
But you can remind him what he said in the word. That's very, very biblical. He likes to hear it. Oh, hallelujah. Not to mention it builds faith. The prayer of agony. Don't answer me publicly. But I wonder. Have you ever prayed the prayer of agony? Or has everything always been just enough to satisfy you? And you don't ever have to get to that third level. You're happy just asking from time to time. You got everything else provided for you. No big deal. All the speed bumps are handled. Well, I'm probably not talking to you tonight then. But I'm talking to somebody here tonight. You've hit some hard spots. It's not turning out like you want. And maybe you're still praying, God, work this out the way I need it to do, Lord. That's not the prayer of agony. That's not the prayer of agony. The prayer of agony says, Lord, not, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And then there will, be, there will be some activity, some angelic activity. And God will strengthen you to continue the prayer of agony. God never gives you something more than you can bear. But will with the make a way of escape. I don't have to yield to the temptation. But when I fight the temptation and I pray the prayer that must be prayed, somewhere on the backside of that temptation that I have resisted, God says, here, here's your escape hatch. Here's your door. But you know what we wanted to do? Now, Lord, you get that temptation out of my way. So I can walk for you. Lord says, no, you got to go through it. But somewhere in the middle of it, there it is. Praise God. Stand with us tonight. God bless you. In the name of the Lord.